Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stahl. All right, welcome to Legally Sound Smart Business. This is Nasser Pasha. And this is Matt Stobb. And this is where we cover business in the news and also put on our legal twist and also answer some of your business legal questions that you, the listener, sends in to ask at LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. Very good. Good intro today. I'm talking about myself, my intro. <laughs> yeah, good intro today. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Great. So we are going to cover a nice little topic about families and businesses and spouses. And I was thinking about this is that I probably have at least, I can think of four or five different clients that literally it's a husband and wife operation as far as ownership goes. And I always wondered how the dynamics filled that in. So today we have a guest. Her name is Meg Kadu Hirschberg. She is the author of For Better or For Work. And we found her, she actually got an article picked up on Inc.com, which I thought was great. It's called I Love You, But You're Fired. And I thought it was a funny title. And we'll, of course, put links on our show notes. Meg, how are you doing? Fine. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. So Matt, I've been thinking about this. We talk about how partnerships are like a marriage, but what happens when the actual partnership is a husband and wife? That can really change the dynamics. And you're exactly right. A partnership, you have to view it as a marriage. So if your partner in business is also your partner in your personal life, I could see lots of issues of where do you draw the line? If you spend all day together at work, do you go home and talk about work all day? There's just a lot of things that go into that. So I do really enjoy this article. It has a couple stories. And from what I understand, Meg, you once worked with your spouse as well, correct? Yes, I did. My husband, Gary, founded Stonyfield Yogurt almost 30 years ago. When I met him and moved up, we decided to get married and I moved up to the farm. We were actually on a farm in New Hampshire at that time, no longer. But when I moved up to the farm, I started working in the business right away and we worked together for a couple of years, at which point we decided this was not the best thing for our relationship. (laughs) So I backed away from the business and haven't worked for it since. Yeah, very good. I think one of the biggest issues is despite whether it's a marriage or not, finding who the decision maker is in a business is sometimes difficult. We have a lot of people that come up with their partners, 50-50 partners, but I always tell them, look, you know, even though you make decisions together, there has to be one person that breaks the tie, so to speak. It reminds me, of course, we have to bring in the show, The Office, when Jim and Michael were co-managers of The Office and just how that just did not work. It doesn't work in any other business. There's always at least one person making those decisions. Would you find the same, Meg? Right. Well, that brings up one of the key issues that can arise when couples work together, which is that it's hard to transition from a situation at work in which usually one person is in charge, i.e. the entrepreneur, often the spouse. Most businesses that are run by couples are not started by the couple together. Most are started by one person, the entrepreneur, who has a dream, who has a vision, and then cries, and I want to help out. And that's yeah. usually the way couples wind up working together. So yeah. the relationship in the business setting is not equal. Usually there's one person in charge. And transitioning from that back home to a relationship in which theoretically is an equal partnership can be very difficult. So that does bring up one of the challenges. Another big challenge, of course, is compartmentalizing, which is something that I was unable to do, actually, which is how do you leave the work stuff at work? And I don't only mean work conversations, which can trail you home for sure. Making those barriers, as you alluded to, can be very difficult, but also conflicts within the workplace, disagreements within the workplace. How do you leave them there? 
and not have them contaminate your home life, your personal life. And even with all these caveats, though, I'd say that I have interviewed, because I've interviewed hundreds of entrepreneurs and spouses for my book and for my writing for Inc. Magazine, and I've interviewed many couples who work together that say they wouldn't have it any other way. They couldn't imagine building their life dream with anyone but their partner. So it can work beautifully in many circumstances, but when it crashes and burns, you have to be prepared that that's going to happen too, that it's just not going to work out. But to not let that, the fact that you can't work together, make you feel like, well, gee, maybe this isn't the right person for me. Maybe there's something wrong with the relationship. These are really two different kinds of relationship, a work relationship and an intimate one. And that's one of the things that I thought would be really difficult is it doesn't seem like there'd really be a time to evaluate how the other spouse is, you know, maybe you have one spouse who is kind of the decision maker and the other one needs to evaluate how the other spouse is doing it. And if you're spending all your time together and you also go home to a family every day, it just seems like that'd be really difficult to do. So my question to you, Meg, is what would be your number one tip for spouses that want to go into business together? Assuming that your step number one would be you think that they could still do it. Well, it would be, first of all, to sit down together frequently, maybe every six months. I mean, not let it go longer than that. For the couple to sit down together and check in personally, how is this going for us as a couple? Is this working? And really checking in about that and not just kind of letting it slide. I think that's very important to establish those regular check-ins. Within the work environment, ideally, the spouse should not report directly to their mate. That can set up all kinds of tensions. But even if that is the case, the spouse should have really defined role at work and be considered a co-equal partner, even if he or she is stocking shelves while the entrepreneur is running the shop. Nevertheless, even though they technically have very great differences in terms of hierarchy, in terms of the community and how they present themselves to friends and family, it should be, this is our business, you know, not this is my husband's business and I'm helping out. Because again, that establishes, you know, a not healthy dynamic. Yeah, I think that's some great advice. And it, the things that you're, you're saying reminds me of uh, some tidbits that I think any partnership in business can take, you know, the six month uh, rechecks and making sure that, you know, there's some respect as far as who's reporting to who and the, and the boundaries are drawn, even when you have a 50-50% ownership partnership. And, and, and I think this is my last question here is when a, a lot of times when we, we get in this case, we would often put in writing, okay, here, even though you guys are co-owners, whether there's two, three, or four, we, of course, put their roles in writing. Maybe one is a president, one is a secretary or vice president, and what those capacities are. Do you think it's helpful or maybe it's even more of a barrier to actually put this kind of stuff in writing, even on a legal, enforceable basis, or should it be a little bit more informal than that? I don't know that it needs to be legal and forcible, but, you know, what does it say on people's business cards? What are their roles? I mean, because a lot of times what happens, most of the time what happens typically is that, you know, as I mentioned, the, the entrepreneur will start the business, the spouse will kind of slide in because they want to help out, which is what happened in our case. I was not particularly interested in the work I was doing in the company, nor was I trained for it, nor was I well suited for it. But I was available, I was capable, and I was cheap, you know, 
which is often why spouses wind up helping out. They want to help out the family enterprise. And you really have to specify, you know, what am I doing here? What is my role here? Am I suited for it? Is this a good job for me? Or should this be something that I'm filling in temporarily until you can hire someone who's better trained or more interested in doing this job? You know, so that starts with specifying what the spouse's role is. That's step number one. And it's not just, you know, Girl Friday or whatever it is that they're just kind of filling in. But what is my job here? And then figuring out, is that good? Do I want to be doing this over the long term? Because maybe I don't. Maybe this isn't a good fit for me. So I'd say that would be more the path that I would take rather than necessarily writing everything down. I think it can be a discussion, but it should be an honest discussion. Well, Meg, we get a question that we do every episode as well, so we're hoping to keep you on for this. It's actually another family-related question, so we'll get your input on this as well. But here it is. I run a business that hinges on customer service. My son is home from college and can't find a job. Is it worth me taking the risk of hiring him, knowing he probably won't be good for the business? And this is coming from someone in New York City. (laughs) (laughs) This is the toughest challenge, especially these days with a very difficult job market. A lot of people are faced with this who own businesses. What to do with their adult children who can't find work? You know, this is a case-specific scenario. For example, if the parent hires a young man thinking in advance, this is not going to work out, (laughs) you know, then you know it's not going to work out. And it's just going to introduce personal tensions into the relationship and exacerbate problems that are probably already there. So you don't want to get into that, neither the parent nor the child. That said, if it's possible that the child may grow into it, may learn to prove themselves, you know, if there's an openness, this could work out. My inclination would be to give the child the benefit of the doubt because if they want to work in the company, if there's possibility that it could work out, give them a shot only for a limited period. We're going to, I'm going to hire you for the next six months and let's see how it goes. Let's see if the job is suitable for you. If we think you're doing a good job, set a time when you're going to evaluate it again so it doesn't kind of drag on and on as tensions get exacerbated. So I would try to give the benefit of the doubt to the kid unless it's clear, you know, unless everyone's going into this saying, this probably isn't going to work. Because when you go into it that way, then it's almost certainly not going to work. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think the person's question in itself kind of gives away their attitude on the subject. Exactly. It reminds me too how I think in the past, it was much more common. This is a classic scenario of a family-run business where the parents are trying to get their children involved and so forth. And maybe we've gone away from that a little bit, but I think we're coming back to that in a certain sense because there's a lot of college students that have graduated, the millennial generation that we hear them moving back home. If their parents and their family have family businesses, they're probably going to be there to help out. And all these dynamics are now coming back into play and makes it interesting. From my perspective, I'm not even sure how to deal with this legally because, you know, on our legal minds, yeah, we'll create a contract with your son, but (laughs) those terms aren't going to govern those little hidden things of how you deal with each other to make it work. That's impossible for us to deal with. You know, family business is just about the most dicey thing out there because... (laughs) It is so easy to let the family detritus clog the business. I mean, all these kind of old issues and resentments and things can really surface. 
and make life difficult for everyone. So when family businesses fail, they fail spectacularly. But on the other hand, when they succeed, it's a fantastic thing because they've created this thing. And what better than to pass that legacy on to your child? I mean, those are the two things you care about most, right? Your family and your business, what you've created, your other baby. Certainly, if anyone out there is involved in the family business, it's really important to have a team of advisors and you know, how do you relate not just to your child who's working for you in terms of inheritance and things like that. There's so many issues that come up in that situation. I would strongly recommend that. Well, thanks so much, Meg, for coming on the show today and giving all of your insight. You said a bunch of great things, and I think our audience will really appreciate that. Tell us a little bit about your book, For Better or For Work, and as we close out here. Yeah, so I've been writing for Inc. Magazine for six years now about the impact of businesses on families and vice versa, actually, talking about the family business here. And so I eventually realized that after getting a lot of requests for, you know, you should really write a book, I realized that a book would be very useful for people as a guide to issues that will almost inevitably arise if you're in business for any duration. So I wrote my book, For Better or For Work, A Survival Guide for Entrepreneurs and Their Families. And hopefully the book will help couples and families understand and cope with some of these issues that are just so classic to entrepreneurial families. Well, very good. Well, thanks again, Meg. Thank you for joining us. And also to our audience, thank you for joining us today. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks for having me. Keep it sound and keep it smart. This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.